0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Do you hear that? you hear the children? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? They're excited to get to Sunday school class. Do you hear that? That's an, inco- an accomplishment in and of itself, isn't it? So, yeah. So with that, thank you to all of our um, child care workers, everybody that volunteers every week. I'm telling you, something that's truly special about this church is that little gaggle of geese right there. Am I right? Or am I right? Or am I right? Uh, We are in Romans. We're going to continue in Romans today. You are in luck. You have attended service on Communion Sunday, so we're going to enjoy communion at the end of service today. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to jump right in because we uh, have got a lot to get through today. We are, for those of you uh, who haven't been with us and are visiting today, uh, we're going through the book of Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse And uh, if you want to catch up later on through the week, everything, as uh, Diana said, is on YouTube, Uh, you can go back and look up the lessons to catch up. We are on part five this morning, so you note takers, part five is where we're going to begin today. The book of Romans. Romans is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible. This is my intro, I say it before every lesson. Because I want to set this up. I want to set it up big time, right? Because there, it's impossible for me to set it up too much. It is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible. Hands down. And I mean, I, this, is, this is the biggest study, personally, that I have ever done of Romans, myself. And boy, is this true. Some call this the gospel according to Paul. The theme is the grace of God revealed. The grace of God revealed God's righteousness, our iniquity, and God's remedy through grace. In 500 BC, Socrates wrote a letter to Plato. And he wrote, it may be that the deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. This study aims to show you how. Amen? So, today, the rest of chapter 3, we left off at verse 25. If you're following along in your Bibles, we have any Bible pages flipping out there? My favorite sound in the world. I love it. That means somebody's getting getting, uh, seeds planted in their hearts and minds that will reap an eternal reward. Amen? That's what that sound means. We left off at verse 25, but let me give you a little context here, okay? Uh, I want to give you a little context of what Paul's saying to make it more sen- uh, have it make more sense a little bit. So we're going actually going to begin with verse 21. Let's start there. Paul says, "But now the righteousness of God and hear this, somebody needs to hear this, apart from the law is being revealed." That means continuously being revealed. It continues to be revealed to every single one of us, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, which means this is not new and it's not out of the blue here. No. The prophets spoke of it. The law even pointed to it. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? That was a test to make sure you were reading with me. To all who believe. Not to all who have an emotional experience on some Sunday morning and now they feel like they've got to live their life earning God's favor by being good enough and doing enough good works. No, by believing. By saying, I believe you are who the Bible says you are. I believe you did what you says you did, and I trust you. And that's it. All who believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23. For you've heard this verse once or twice, right? Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Verse 24, being justified, that word just is the root, the root of justice, right? Justified, justice is the root word. That is a law court word. It means the gavel has, has been slammed onto the desk, the judge has slammed it down, and he declares his verdict on you, and he says, not guilty, You have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption, as we studied last week. That word redemption is more accurately transliterated as ransomed. The word apolytrosis, which means slaves were bought, but not to serve another master. They specifically were bought to be set free. That's ransom. Mm, I got chills on that. That is in Christ Jesus, and that's where we left off. So let's begin at verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's an interesting word. We don't use that word very much in our common language and tongue, uh, do we? As a propitiation by His blood through faith. By His blood important. Notice that. By His blood and through faith. Two very important points. Please put a pin in this, as I like to say, and we're going to come back around to it in a minute. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, not yours, his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The times of ignorance uh, in Acts chapter 17 and 30, Paul says on Mars Hill, he says, the times of ignorance where God overlooks your sin and, and, and you're trying to do it on your own or even your debauchery, the time that he's overlooking that, it's over now. He says, but now, okay? Now every man has, is without excuse, as he said earlier in chapter 2. Why is that, though? In his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? Well, verse 26, he did that. He overlooked those sins, and this is important to note because he did it to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see... It's interesting here because biblically, especially to the Hebrews, it was as much a wrong act to overlook wrongdoing as it was to condemn somebody who was innocent. So you need to understand the significance of this. Is it wrong to condemn somebody who is innocent? I need you to talk to me today. Yeah? Okay. If somebody does wrong to another person, is it wrong of me just to turn and look the other way? right we get that that's written on our heart that's that was a that was a big deal in the hebrew culture yet for some reason god he didn't overlook it but he waited on justice forbearance he waited and why to demonstrate the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier to the one who is in jesus christ what does that mean basically Jesus occupies a really, really unique position, you see, because he is God's representative to man, right? Wouldn't you agree? But he is also man's representative to God. That's what this is saying. He is the just and the justifier. Remember where I told you to put a pen a minute ago? Verse 25, the propitiation by his blood through faith. This word propitiation. It's an interesting word. Can I see it on screen? Propitiation. Here's what it means. Oh. um, Can you do me that favor? Thank you. Um, I told my wife that I was going to share the notes into the family page during the announcements, but if I forget, honey, here they are. Can you do that for me? I forgot. So, these definitions and stuff like this, I know that a lot of the stuff that we cover as we're teaching, we're going deep here, kind of hard to write if you're a note-taker, write fast. So in the family page, the notes are going to be there. That way you've got them whenever you want them, okay? This word, propitiation, it's an interesting word because especially for, especially for us and especially in this context, propitiation by his blood through faith. The Greek word is hilasterion. It's the most the most common use of the word is as an equivalent of the Hebrew word, kaporeth. Kaporeth was the place where sins were atoned for or blotted out. The golden slab or mercy seat, which was covered, which covered the ark in the holies of holies. In other words, this is the place where the blood, of the atoning sacrifice was sprinkled. So Paul, he's Hebrew. Tertius is writing in Greek as Paul is speaking. Paul is likely speaking in Hebrew even as Tertius writes, and Paul is equating the mercy seat, invoking, in other words, the mercy seat by his blood through faith. In other words, God designed him to be the means of expediate expiating, expiating, excuse me, that's no word, expiating sin by his sacrificial death, effective, effective through faith. Paul goes to great lengths here to ensure that there will be no misunderstanding by his insistence that God, not the sinner, has provided this hilisterium. This, the blood sacrifice offering for the mercy seat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Why blood? Le- Le- Leviticus 17 verse 11 reads, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood." Can we see that on screen. Verse uh, Leviticus 17:11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's what Paul tells us is happening right here. And if we just read right over it, we'd never get all that. Isn't that cool? So... Who provided the sacrifice, church? Don't make me call out names. I'm going to start calling on people. Yes. Don't forget it. Was it something you did? Was it something you did? Ask yourself this. Did I do that? Oh, my gosh. I most, I thought of the most random thing. You remember Urkel? I said, "Did I do that?" No. I can't believe I just got Urkel into a sermon. The death of Jesus, then, church, is the means by which God does away with sin. You see, He does away with sin. Not symbolically now, all right? With the mercy seat, it was symbolically, but this is now really, he has done away with it. And get this now, it's really in a twofold way that he does that. Can I see this graphic on the screen? Twofold way that he does it. The sin has been removed not only from the believer's conscience, it's heavy weighing on your conscience, right? on which it lays as an intolerable burden which it does unless he removes it but also from no back still the same one but also from the presence of god a realization of god's promise so sin is now gone from your conscience but it's also gone from the prom it's also gone from the presence of God it is a realization of God's promise remember his promise I will remember their sin no more Oh let's get it down in there come on in there for real How many of us were we, we This intolerable guilt and burden of the consciousness of sin that we carry around with us. And we ask for the Lord's forgiveness, but we never forgive ourselves. Do you believe this? Because he doesn't know what you're talking about when you ask him for forgiveness for this thing for the 20th time. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Hmm. That'll preach. Hilisterion equals divine wrath is averted. It's averted. Paul informs us that Christ has accomplished in reality what was given figuratively to the Jews. He is now really given to you. The difference, though, between the mercy seat and what he has done for you is that now... Mercy seat atonement is available to everybody. Amen? Everybody, to all. Not only is this for the eyes of the priests to see and look upon, but for all the rough and tumble, the hostile, the contemptuous, the indifferent crowds that we mingle among, it's available to them as well. The veil has been torn. And since we are now justified by his blood, think about this for a second with me if you would. If we are justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Think about that, you end-time Bible studyers, study right? He did all that for us. Why, he's just going to let us suffer through the wrath of God and the tribulation? No, 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 no. In an attempt to do justice, in an attempt, Paul, and in an attempt to do justice to Christ, Paul, in this one passage that we have been through, used the language here three ways. Can we see them all together now, this next one? The fullness of God's gracious act in Christ, Paul, in an attempt to do it justice, Has used three important words. He brought into your mind the law court. You are justified. He brought into your mind the slave market. You are redeemed. You are bought to be set free. And he brings into our mind the atoning sacrifice, the altar. In other words, pardon, liberation, and atonement are yours in Jesus Christ. That's good news. Huh? Whew. Available by faith to all. F.F. Bruce Bruce said this. F.F. Bruce was a scholar through the um, early to mid 1900s. He's become one of my favorites. He said this Faith is this, faith in this sense is not a kind of work that is especially meritorious. In God's sight, it is that simple and open-hearted attitude which takes Him at His word and gratefully accepts His grace. That's all it is. Isn't that beautiful? Ah, Too much of the church makes faith. Even the fact that you have faith out to be a work. Faith is not a work. It's a change in your attitude. It's taking Him at His word and gratefully accepting His grace. His grace is hadis in the Greek, which means God reaching out to you, bending the knee from heaven and reaching down to you to pull you out of the muck and the mire, as David said. The only God in history, by the way, that's done that. Every other religion in the world has you trying to prove yourself or make yourself worthy to even come before Him. Hmm. Moving on then verse 27 where is boasting then where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works no by the law of faith boasting now is excluded by the law of faith essentially paul is saying that when, when this is grasped, when what we are talking about, what we have on screen is truly grasped, and you get that, you get it, right? When it is grasped, the beneficiary of grace can see that they have no grounds for self-congratulation. Zero. If you get that and you grasp that, it's not your righteousness, it's nothing you did, right? Who did that? Was it you? What are you ta- trying to take credit for then, right? He, Paul's saying, where's boasting them? Obviously nobody can boast anymore whatsoever. <laughs> what did you have to do with it again? Say that what? did you do? What did you do to earn it? What did you do to earn it? It's like you remember that old game show uh, called What's in the Box? They give you one prize, right? And then you can say, all right, well, you can have this prize, or you can have what's in the box. Remember? You say, I'll take, or, or was it door number three, right? I'll take what's in the box. And they're like, what's in the box? Nothing. Nothing is in the box. Oh, no, right? Sorry. I'm having too much fun. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Paul is so thorough. He has completely, completely taken the ground out from under the feet of those who say, you know, I do the best I can. I'm as good as the next guy, you know? I pay my taxes. I would never beat up my landlord, right? I said that for Eva. That was for movie reference. He's just taking a machete, a machete to the works based religion here. I mean, chopping it up. That is all over now, he exclaims. It's all over. Verse 29, let's keep going. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Verse 30, since there is one God, hear hear that now, Universalists, there aren't many paths to God, Oprah, okay? Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do you hear that? So the circumcised, the Jews, and the uncircumcised, the rest of the world, he is justifying them both through faith. You see this here? There is only one way for the circumcised to be justified now too. I don't care. Jewish guys, you had, you know, culture, you had your law, and I get that. You lived it during the age of the Mosaic law and Torah and everything else. Everything else, But now, if you want to be saved and accept the righteousness of God upon you to where you are now righteous and worthy to enter into his holy presence, the law is not going to do it anymore now. So even you who are circumcised, the only way for you now too is Faith, justification by faith. Verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish and uphold the law. The Hebrew word uh, that Paul would have used here uh, if he were speaking Hebrew is uh, quayam. This is uh, the verb that is used in rabbinical assertion that Abraham which is, this is relevant in a minute, Abraham fulfilled the law, they would say, of him. Paul is about to get into that uh, in just a minute. But this here is echoes. Verse 31, is the law void? Th- uh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish and uphold the law. This is echoes of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. You remember when Jesus said, no, 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 I didn't come to do away with the law, okay? I came to fulfill the law. And as a matter of fact, the way that you know that I'm the Messiah is that I have now fulfilled the law and the promises of the law for a Messiah. And, I came, and he came and he did it just to the letter, to the T, right? The dotting of an I, crossing of a T, the yacht and the tittle, right? He came to. Now into verse uh, chapter 4. As Paul goes into chapter four here, remember that there were no chapters. This is a scroll. Okay, the chapters that came later. Okay, this recently, actually a more recent addition uh, to how they would record things. At the time, keep in mind the, Reve- the scroll. Uh, the scroll of Revelation is 15 feet long. Okay, to be interesting to read Revelation, I'd have to start here. If I wanted to look up chapter, uh, you know, 19, I'd have to run way over there to look at it. Right. So rolling in, just imagine we're rolling in to chapter 4. Paul's doing his best now, they're about to, to explain this to the Jews in terms that the Jews will understand. What are terms that the Jews understand? Abraham. Abraham. Father Abraham. So we will dub this section the Abraham Accords, okay? No? Nobody got that? My jokes today are horrible. (laughs) So, did somebody say amen? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Brutal. Oh, brutal. Man, we better never do a roast of Pastor Chad. Of all the Old Testament patriarchs, uh, to the Jews, none were as righteous as Abraham. God literally called him my friend. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, my friend, shall I not tell Abraham, my friend, what I'm going to do, right? So Paul, Paul rolls in. Let's take a look at the scripture. What then shall we say of Abraham? What shall we say of Abraham? Our father has found. What shall we say he has found according to the flesh? Well, we know what he has found. We know what Paul's getting at. What did he find? Justification by faith through God's grace is what he found. But let's just keep going because remember, Paul is, in his diatribe fashion, he's he's posing questions to an imaginary straw man that might be coming against him, and there's a few of them so far in this study. Specifically, speaking to the Jewish man now, he says, What shall we say that Father Abraham has found according to the flesh? Verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God, not before God still, So it's a good thing that Abraham wasn't justified by works, right? Because he wouldn't be able to boast in them. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And we'll get into deeper details of what exactly he believed, okay, in a minute. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, if anyone was going to have a right to boast, it would be he, but still he cannot, because that's not how God does things, and certainly not anymore, but now, right? For Abraham, good works and obedience to God's commandments were the fruit of his unquestioned faith. He wasn't doing them to try and get good, get in a good position with God. They were the fruit that stemmed from a faith that he believed God was who he said he was. And he trusted that God, when God made him a promise, he would keep it. So he lived his life according to that principle. He didn't believe that obedience to God's commands were the means to his salvation, in other words. Think of everything... Think of everything that he was known for. Father Abraham, really think about it for a second. Father of many nations, right? Type and shadow of justification by faith. The journey that he went, all the stories of Abraham in the Bible. Had he not believed, had he not believed what God was leading him to do, who God said he was, he would have never stepped out upon that journey that God called him to. But when God told them he was something, he believed him. There's something in there for us. He would have never conducted his life, in other words, in the light of what he knew to be God's will. Do you live your life with the knowledge and understanding that God is for you, that he is on your side, that he is going before you, he walks alongside of you, and he follows behind. Do you understand what that means? He goes before you to prepare good works for you to walk into. He goes before you to fight battles that you never even knew happened, right? Right? He walks beside you to lift your arms, to encourage you, to strengthen you, and he's got your back. He's got your six, right? There's something in here for us, church. Uh, who in here? Watching on that watching on that camera or that camera. Who in here? is facing the hour of decision. Hmm? Who in here is the Holy Spirit leading to take a risk, maybe? Take a risk or step out in faith, as Abraham did. And and I mean the kind of step where if the Lord doesn't catch you, it's not going to be good, right? Let me say this. You better be sure that you're not projecting your desires onto the Lord here or onto the Holy Spirit, you better be sure. But if it is him, and he is calling to you like he called to Abraham, this kind of faith, if if that's him, you'll know it and you won't be sorry. You know, he loves to meet us in the unknown. He loves to meet us out where we are taking a step towards him. We're like, oh, I feel like you're leading me to do this, but... If it's not you, it's going to be bad, but I trust you. That's where he loves to meet us, in that place of faith, you know? Oh, church. He loves to show himself to you in those spaces and to meet you in your step of faith. So let's keep reading here. Verse 4. Now to him who works whose wages are not counted as grace but as in, as debt. So Abraham believed God. He stepped out in faith. Simply, what does that mean? He trusted God at his word that his promises were true. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, because of that, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. In other words, if you work to earn your sal- if you work to earn your salvation, even if it were something you could do, it would be something that you were owed, thusly. Therefore, it would not be grace. You understand? It wouldn't be grace then. In other words, uh, if you put in two weeks' worth of work at your job, right? You put in two weeks, you expect a paycheck, Right? If you don't get the paycheck, would that upset you? You'd all be good with it? Why wouldn't you be good with it? I am owed that money, right? That's what Paul's saying here, right? Uh, The way up is down and down is up in the kingdom of God, okay? This is grace, Unmerited favor. So God says, you know what? Don't work. You rest. I'll do the work. You get the paycheck. That's grace. Paul's saying to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. This goes against the nature of our flesh completely. That's why we struggle with legalism so much, is we a, we want to have a our pride wants to have a hand in it. We like to feel good about ourselves, right? But B, it's because that's just our nature. we got to do work to get the reward. So when I get the reward, I'm like, I, sh- I should work for that, right? Yes, but from a place of gratitude, not from a place of earning it, you see. Amen? I'll say this as well. On the subject of earning salvation, if you aren't disqualified for doing something. We've covered that pretty well. If you'd sin, are you disqualified from salvation? Made that pretty clear, right? So if you aren't disqualified for doing something, you can't be disqualified because you didn't do something. Do you understand that? Because religion tries to work you over two ways, right? They try to disqualify you because you did something. Religion Works-based religion. And they try to disqualify you because you didn't do something as well. And that's really prevalent uh, in churches that abuse gifts of the Spirit. They try to say, if you didn't speak in tongues, you're not saved, that sort of stuff, right? So, are you saved by grace? Or do you have a hand in it? What are you banking your eternity on? Your performance or Jesus? Hmm. In other words, do you trust him? Every day we wake up is another opportunity to answer the question that God is asking every single one of us Do you trust me? Hmm. Verse five, but to him who does not work but believes, verse five, yep. But believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Works are now replaced by faith. Works are now replaced by faith. Paul is shouting it. It's on a billboard in this letter. This is the kind of good news that our flesh just cannot fathom. Yet here we are. Here we are. Let's keep reading. I'm going to skip uh, this next verse, but make a note of this. For time's sake, I'm going to jump over this, guys. Make a note of this. Luke 18, chapter 9 through 14, I was going to read to you. It is where Jesus himself talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector, compares and contrasts them both, and tells you which one is actually justified. Using that court order word, justified, Jesus makes this point rather clear. So. Jesus is making the same point okay, when he says that the Pharisee who judges is not the one justified but the tax collector who beat his breasts and cries out for mercy. Right. Let's go on to verse 6 because I've got a lot I want to get to today. Luke 18, 9 through 14, write that down and look it up. It's beautiful. Verse 6 reads, Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works, David celebrates the same truth in Psalm 32 when he says, verse 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8 continues with, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. See, even before Jesus came, the gospel is bring, being taught here by David. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. In other words, he's now counting your sin against you. Paul has now brought father Abraham and King David into the into the conversation. This is pretty effective, right? This linking of David and Abraham by Paul is not coincidental though. Not whatsoever David and Abraham understood church salvation by faith alone more than most may realize. To prove this to you I want to look at two verses, okay? Two verses. Okay? Let's read Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. I'll read quickly. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Pay attention to his name, Abram, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can I? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Verse 3, And Abraham said, Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh, a blood heir, will be your heir. Verse 5, He took him outside. This is important. Why did he have to take him outside? He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Underline count and count in your Bible. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. There it is right there. So Abram believed that God would give him children on faith, right? Right? That's what he's believing, right? There's more to the story. We always like to say there's more to the story. Look at verse 5. What does God say to Abraham? He says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Why did Abram have to look up at the stars? Well, to count them, right? God wasn't looking for a number, is what we have to understand. That word count in the Hebrew is this word. Can we see that on screen? Safar, Safar. It really should be translated recount, as in retell the story. Recount from your memory, Abraham. Abraham, look at the stars and remember. It's always twofold. And he looks at the sand in the seashore. That's different. This is something unique. Why would he have him recount what is in the stars? Psalm 19, David writes, The heavens declare. We see that in Psalm 19? Yes, for the director of music. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they, re- they reveal knowledge. How? What is this knowledge? They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. This is a little cryptic. huh? There are words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Verse 5, it is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. And what, saying, is the Hebrew word for declare, the heavens declare the glory of God. What is the word in Hebrew that should be there rather than declare? Tell them what they've won, Johnny. Can anybody guess? Can we see the next? I've got that word. There, there it is. The heavens, David says, recount, retell the story of the glory of God. Abraham, come here. Do you you remember? Look at the story of the glory of God, Abram. Through you, your offspring shall be. Why does David say it is like a bridegroom? It's like a bridegroom. Because the heavens told the story of Jesus. They actually still tell the story of Jesus, and many don't know that. Many in the church don't even know that. The heavens literally tell the story of Jesus. The promise of the Messiah was there to remind and encourage all of mankind that God had not abandoned them, that He would make a way. Looking back at our... Verse in Genesis, this verse is so telling of how the enemy has tried to corrupt what God has made. He said, Abraham, look at the stars and remember, if you can still recount, if you even can anymore. The zodiac that we have today is not the zodiac that the Hebrews had in the days of Abraham. The Hebrew star chart was called a Maseroth. Can I see that next picture? This is what it looked like. This was the Maseroth. Can we see the next picture? See, on the... And this is in your notes, if it's kind of small on the screen. The Maseroth and the Zodiac. The Zodiac, this looks familiar, right? Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, all those, the regular suspects, right? The Maseroth looks like this. For Virgo, the virgin holding a branch, an ear of corn, the promised seed of the woman... Not of the man. Libra held the scales, this was the scales, the price deficient, balanced by the price that covers. The scorpion, the attack of the enemy, the redeemer's conflict, the archer, the gracious one, the redeemer's triumph, the seagoat, the goat of atonement, slain for the redeemed, the water bearer, the living waters of blessing poured forth for the redeemed, the fishes, the multitudes who will follow, the blessings of the redeemed, the ram or the lamb, the wounded and slain, the blessings of the redeemed, consummated. And Taurus, the bull, the congregation of the judge and the coming judge of all the earth and the twins, two natures, both man and God, the reign of the prince of peace. I'm a Gemini, so, you know, I've been told my whole life, well, Chad, you've got two different sides to you, two different personalities. You don't want Chad to flip the switch. He's he's a Gemini. That's not what that means at all. This is both man and God. Jesus was both, he was man, real man, flesh and blood, yet he was God. The reign of the Prince of Peace and the crab assembled together. The Redeemer's possessions held fast, and Leo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the consummated triumph of the Redeemer in the end. The heavens retell the story of the glory of God, church, every night. Now, I don't want everybody to run out and sign up for astrology websites, all right? This is not an endorsement of Miss Cleo, all right? You guys remember her, Miss Cleo? To the contrary. We can plainly see why God tells us, not to do astrology stuff, right? It has been so, so corrupted by Satan. I show you this today to make one big point that is everything, which you, you don't understand the context by which Paul is talking and why he brings in David and Abraham if you don't understand this one big point. Abraham's faith was not random faith. David's faith was not random faith. Not random faith and a personal promise that he'll have kids and a bunch of them. No. God showed him the story of Jesus and said, It will be through you, Abraham. Hmm. And guess what? Abraham believed. He believed him. He believed in God's plan. He believed in the Messiah, the story of grace written in the stars. He believed it. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, remember the Messiah is coming. He'll come through your line, though you're childless, though you're old and your wife is barren. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then and there, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham and David were both saved by their faith in Messiah long before Jesus even came. That's like, right? Mm. Incredible. Can I invite um, Pat? Can I put you on the spot to the stage? You know, I told Owen uh, and Lynette yesterday, I said, well, tomorrow's going to be good. You know, it's one of those messages where I actually gave myself in my notes, I I wrote in, this is your first chance to close. This is your second chance to close. We didn't even get to the first chance to close, Owen. Can you believe that? Oh, church. He is good, amen. 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 We want to invite our ushers forward right now because this is a special time for us as a church family to share in communion together. And if I could have one first, that'd be great. Thank you. So if you're new to these little kind of cups, they're really convenient. when you set up and tear down and whatnot, as a new church does. They've got a little cellophane first seal that you open, Then the tinfoil one is the second one to get to the uh, cup of righteousness. So Jesus, as we're passing out, I'll just tell you a little story. Jesus was in the upper room. It's where he found himself with the disciples celebrating the Passover Seder, a feast of the Lord that was prophetic of himself. A feast of the Lord that he he himself had instructed his people to celebrate generations earlier. Do this, celebrate it just this way, because it is type and shadow and emblematic of how I'm going to save you. And here he is, the very fulfillment of that prophecy, sitting among them, participating. That must have been so sweet for him. Can you imagine that? Being who he is, loving how he loves to sit there with his disciples, having foreseen that, prophesied that, but to be there and experiencing it. But while he was there, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so the disciples would every time they gathered They would break bread together. We like to break bread together, don't we? We held up a piece of matzah bread, and this is not matzah, but it's flat, right? Matzah bread is like a cracker. It has no uh, leaven in it. Leaven is symbolic of sin. So it was to represent a body. This is my body, he said, given for you. That matzah had no yeast in it, so it would not rise, and if you've ever seen a saltine cracker, right? There's little holes in it. It's pierced. And as you cook it, it browns and it bruises. No bone was to be broken in the Passover lamb. It was part of the prophecy. And so no bone was broken in Jesus when he gave himself for us. He said, No man takes my life from me. I give it freely for you. And he gave it to fulfill that prophecy that all of this, all of this new covenant, this new Freedom would be available to you and to us. So I don't want you to forget because God knows we forget, right? God knows we forget. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my body without sin, innocent as I am about to take this judgment. I'm about to be pierced and bruised for you. I want you to take it and remember that I did that for you. And as we take it together, church, remember the liberty, the freedom, the justification that we have, that that we have been ransomed to be set free. Our sins atoned for. Let's take it together, church. Then he held up a cup. And if you've ever uh, celebrated a Seder or studied it, you know that they had certain cups. They would drink different cups of wine. That's why I always feel bad for the disciples who couldn't stay awake, they kept falling asleep. They had just celebrated the Seder. But Jesus held up the cup of redemption and he said, Remember my blood that is shed for you and that blood spilled out under the rocky ground at Calvary and the the earth drank in his blood. It was for you. So let's remember what he did for us this morning. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. You are so good to to us beyond what we can even comprehend, Lord Jesus. Yet you are so good to continue to show us and show us us again and again and again. Lord, I pray you continue to lead us into that revelation daily, Lord, that every day you would show us a new way in your word. You would show us a new way in our life, in our circumstances, a new way how good you are to us. Give us new revelation of what you have truly done and the lengths that you have gone to. We humble our hearts today and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we remember together. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anybody here today, that the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart and giving you revelation of the gospel or perhaps you have been not been living with a consciousness of Christ but a con- a consciousness of condemnation and you need to let that go because that's not what God is calling you to if that's you raise your hand no one's looking around thank you thank you thank you if there's anything that you just need to lay down before the throne of God this morning or surrender raise your hand Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh god, thank you. Oh, you're so good to us. The angels celebrate you. You know that? They look on you and they are they marvel the word of god tells us at you because god loves you so much. He's done so much for you. He's done more for you than we even realize. But now you know what? He's calling you to a place of rest to sit at his feet and rest in him and trust in him. You don't have to earn your salvation. He's already bought it. He's already paid that debt. Now rest in him and he'll lead you into the path he has for you and the good works that he has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your kindness, for your word, for your truth. Receive the prayers of your people here this morning as they surrender whatever they're surrendering. Pray a spirit a spirit of intimacy, that they would feel so close to you they could reach out and touch you. Give them comfort in their hearts and their minds as they go today, as they carry out as your ambassadors this week. Let's pray out loud, church, for anybody who is, sur- who is coming to a moment of awakening and a moment of faith, not to, to a moment of repentance as in they're very sorry, no, but as a metanoia repentance moment of changing their mind and trusting in God and believing and putting their faith in him. Let's pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you did what you say you did. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. Because you live, I live. I'm a sinner. I'm in broken covenant apart from what you have done. But I believe you did it. And I put my faith and trust in it that it was for me. I now walk boldly before the throne of God and ask you anything, be it according to your will, have your will in my life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for your uh, love of the word and your attention to study. God's just got so much for us, doesn't he? Enjoy this beautiful day, will you? The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, pour out favor, blessing. May you prosper in all you do as you go. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.